1: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic again is sin. In fact, you could title today's episode, Whatever Became of Sin 2.0. I want to talk again about the loss of the very concept of sin in American culture and why the ignorance of this basic premise of human existence is threatening to destroy everything we hold dear. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening to the show. So today's topic, as I said in the introduction, is the furtherance of this discussion that I started last week with regard to whatever became of sin. Using the word sin, understanding the concept of the word sin, Properly defining who we are as human beings. Are we good? Are we evil? Are we pure? Are we right? Are we just? Can we claim righteous indignation in and of ourselves? Or, or are all of us broken and sinful? This is a basic question. One of the premises of Christianity is that you are not a good person. I am not a good person. None of us are good. We are all broken by original sin that as Adam sinned, so we are all cursed. And it's only in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, that we're forgiven of those sins, redeemed from those sins, and can, by the grace of God, pursue a sanctified and righteous and holy life. Not our righteousness, not our holiness, but the righteousness and holiness that comes to us, that is given to us. It's a gift of God. It's by grace that we're saved, through faith. It is not of ourselves, it's not of works, lest any of us should boast about our goodness, righteousness, and what we've accomplished to earn approval from others or from God himself. This is Christianity. If you don't agree with what I just said, then you're denying one of the tenets, key cornerstones, the cornerstone of Christianity, that Jesus had to come suffer, bleed, and die, and then rise again from the grave to atone for our what? Sins. If any of us were good in of ourselves, we wouldn't have needed him to do that. His sacrifice, his suffering, the torture of Jesus Christ himself would have been a meaningless thing. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? Sin matters. If we don't acknowledge it as a culture, then we're going to fall deeper and deeper into it. So in today's show, I want to talk about this concept of whatever became of sin. This is the second installment of this discussion. You can call it Sin 2.0. Yes, I'm going to refer back to Carl Menninger's classic 1970s work titled, Whatever Became of Sin. And for those of you who are aware of it, you'll, you'll recognize that Menninger himself didn't claim to be a Christian as far as I know. He was a prominent, one of the most influential psychologists of his day. He was a medical doctor who also studied psychology. He had degrees in both, and he wrote the book, Whatever Became of Sin. It was prescient. It was almost prophetic in terms of what he was saying in the 70s and how it's playing out in our culture and in our daily lives, in our communities in our country, in our churches, and in our kids right now. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I want to talk again about William E. Wolfe's post on Twitter, one that I agree with, and Wolfe is a person that is on the same page as you and me with regard to his critique of culture. He's a deputy assistant secretary, former deputy assistant secretary of the Department of Defense under the Trump administration. I'll just use this as a teaser before the break. He tweeted last week, The data makes it very clear. The continuing increase of younger generations identifying as LGBTQIA is an inorganic manufactured social contagion spread by social media. Close quote. One more time before the break. The data makes it very clear. The continuing increase of younger generations identifying as LGBTQIA plus is an inorganic manufactured social contagion spread by social media. Close quote, William E. Wolf, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Department of Defense in the Trump administration. Let's take a break. And when I get back, we'll talk about this quote. And Carl Menninger's response, whatever became of the word sin. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. And I'll be right back in a couple minutes.
0: and lending a hand to our neighbors in need, sold. The Patriot Auto Group, proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to the
1: rebellion. So let's set the context again. Uh, William Wolfe tweeted a graph last week with the comment that I just gave you before the break. Again, the comment was the data makes it very clear. Well, what data? Well, he's presenting the data via a bar graph. That is an unbiased presentation from Statista. It's a website with statistics. The headline here is 7.2% of U.S. adults identify as LGBT. And then it says, subtitled, share of American adults who identify as LGBT by birth year. Breaks it down by Gen Z, Millennials, Generation X, Baby Boomers, and traditionalists. So in 2014, and I'll just focus on Millennials right now. 2014, the bar shows that about 6% of Millennials identified as gay and lesbian and trans. Okay, 2017, it went up to, oh, approximately 8%. In 2020, millennials went up to about 9%. In 2022, millennials increased to 11.2%. So there's a dramatic increase in the percentage of millennials. It about doubles from 2014 to 2022. Why? Why do you have that percentage of millennials? Now the older generations don't identify in the same in the same mix. They stay relatively stable. Gen X in 2022 is 3.3%, baby boomers, 2.7%, traditionalists 1.17%. Excuse me, let me say that again. 1.7. So And that stays stable. It's about the same over the 2014, 2017, 2020, and 2022 breakdown with regard to Gen X baby boomers and traditionalists. But millennials goes up dramatically. It almost doubles. Well, what of Gen Z? Well, they don't start tracking Gen Z until 2020. Why? They're not of age yet to be polled until 2020 because Gen Zers are born between 1997 and 2004. So this particular graph doesn't pull them until 2020. Gen Zers on the same graph in 2020 identify as LGBTQIA at 16% in 2020 and 19.7% in 2022. Huge, right? So what's this say? The younger generations are being indoctrinated. That is William Wolfe's point. He's saying the data makes it very clear the continuing increase of younger generations identifying as LGBTQIA is, and these are William Wolfe's words, this is an inorganic manufactured social contagion spread by social media. Now, as I said last week, many of us are rushing to the front of the line of tens of thousands of people, and hopefully more, who eagerly agree with Mr. Wolf's characterization of what he describes in a subsequent tweet, tweet as a nation in moral freefall, quote unquote, a nation in moral freefall. But I have one basic question that I think all of us should be asking, and I I mentioned it last week. Manufactured social contagion? Absolutely. I agree. But why don't we just call this what it is? Sin. Sin. And then I go back, as I did last week, to the 1973 seminal work by Carl Menninger, titled, Whatever Became of Sin? And again, I want to remind you, Menninger is not a Christian. He's a secular psychiatrist. He has a medical degree, an MD. He's a medical doctor who also studied psychiatry. And this is what he says in his book, Whatever Became of Sin. In all the laments and reproaches made by our seers and prophets, one misses any mention of sin. It was a word once in everyone's mind, but now rarely, if ever, is it heard. This is Menninger again. Is it only that someone may be stupid or sick or criminal? Wrong things are done, yes, but is no one responsible? Has no one committed any sins? Close quote. That's what Carl Menninger said in, in 1973. And then he goes on to ask this question Where indeed did sin go? What became of it? Is nothing now a sin? The very word sin seems to have disappeared. It was a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word. It described a central point in every civilized human being's life plan and lifestyle. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared. The word along with the notion. Why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Close quote. Now I need to go over that particular quote, one more time, because this is the key point that Menninger is making. It's a key point that I'm trying to emphasize and rally around in this particular broadcast. Here's what Menninger said again. In his seminal work, the book titled Whatever Became of Sin, 1973, he says this, and I quote, Where indeed did sin go? What became of it? Is nothing now a sin? The very word sin seems to have disappeared. It was a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous, serious word. It described a central point in every civilized human being's life plan and lifestyle. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared. The word along with the notion. Why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Close quote. You know, we can we can talk about mistakes, we can talk about manufactured social contagions. Yes, they are. This is a manufactured <laughs> this c- contagion. We're indoctrinating our younger generations to believe there's something that they're not. But when we stop calling it what it is, that's a mistake. This is sin. The Bible is very clear about this. And as a non-Christian, Carl Menninger, pointed out in the 1973, every civilized human being, in days gone by, in, 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 in the annals of history, every civilized human being recognized that this was a central point of their existence. They, they recognized what the 1930s, Detective series called The Shadow recognized. No one knows what lurks, what evil lurks in the heart of men, but the shadow knows. That was a reference to the fact that there's evil that lurks in every human heart. No one knows except the Christ figure, the shadow. Jesus knows. God knows what evil lurks in every human heart, even though. No one else around us does. That was the point of the 1930s famous detective series called The Shadow. Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Frederick Fox, a Princeton University professor, once said this. He lamented that Republicans now refer to the problems of pride and self-righteousness. The Democrats refer to shortcomings, shortcomings. But none used the grand old sweeping concept of sin. Can you imagine, said Fox, a modern president beating his breast on behalf of the nation and praying, God be merciful to us sinners. Close quote. I was a Princeton professor back in the 60s and 70s. He said that Republicans refer to problems, Democrats refer to shortcomings, But none use the grand old sweeping concept of sin, he says. To make his point, he said, Can you imagine a modern president beating his breast on behalf of a nation? Praying God be merciful to us sinners. And he said this back in the Richard Nixon days. It's gotten worse, not better, right? At the time of Menninger's and Fox's commentary, Even the New Yorker seemed to agree with both of them. This is what the New Yorker said at the same time back in the 70s. We seek prestige. We seek respect. We seek credibility. We seek, and I'm going to put in brackets here, affirmation, tolerance, agreement, and acceptance. And then the New Yorker goes on and says this, and in the course of all this seeking, our souls have withered day by day. We are turning into monsters For a hundred reasons and for no reason whatsoever, we are destroying men and women and children and we can't feel a thing. Close quote. The New Yorker, (laughs) not a conservative rag. And agreeing with the New Yorker and Professor Fox, Minninger then doubled down imposing that modern elites, modern elites like him, he's basically, this is a self-criticism a self-critique, of his industry, of his social cut of cloth. Modern elites commit pages, volumes, to the misdeeds of our culture while misdiagnosing our societal pathologies. Meninger says this, We call them evil, disgraceful, corrupt, prejudicial, and harmful, but never sinful. Why? Yeah, evil, yeah. Disgraceful, that's disgraceful. You guys are corrupt. You're prejudiced, you're bigots, you're racist. What you're doing is harmful. It hurts me, it hurts others. But we don't call any of this stuff sin. And that's a rhetorical point that he's making. Why? He then goes on and he actually cites Webster's Dictionary at the time. He, he, he quotes, he cites the actual definition of Okay, sin used to be defined, he says, as a transgression of the law of God, disobedience of the divine will, and moral turpitude. Sin, he said, this is Menninger again, was once failure to realize in conduct and character the moral ideal. One more time, it was once, sin was once failure to, to realize in conduct and character the moral ideal, failure to do as one ought toward one's fellow man. The wrongness of the sinful act lied not merely in its nonconformity, he says, but in its implicitly aggressive quality, a ruthlessness, breaking away from God and from the rest of humanity. Close quote. Did you hear what he's saying? This ruthless, do you see that in the way we communicate and engage right now? Look at the riots in the streets of Chicago this past weekend. Bunch of teenagers. The next generation. Hundreds of them swarming the streets and destroying cars, rioting, looting. For no apparent reason, ruthless. Ruthless in destroying property. Destroying other people's lives. It's one half step away from destroying their lives through brutality, through murder. They don't care. There's an animal-like, animalistic ruthlessness about this behavior, breaking away from God and from the rest of humanity. Because if you change the definition of the human being, then it's going to change the definition of what? Crime is or isn't. Because if people that don't look like you are less human than people who do look like you, you can basically treat those others as subhuman. You can treat them like animals. You can do with them as you will. Not recognizing that you yourself are becoming the animal in the process because of the way you're behaving. This was the hypocrisy, the duplicity of the Nazi regime. They dumbed down the definition of the human being so that Jews were not included within the bracket of humanity. And then the Nazis, the Germans, betrayed themselves as being animalistic, ruthless in the way they were behaving. They were the animals, not the Jews. They were the ones that just lashed out like hyenas aggressively, ruthlessly. Like coyotes. In in, in Oklahoma, as you all know, if you stumble across a man who's ruthless, dishonest, treacherous, can't be trusted, one of the nicknames for that type of a person is a coyote, because coyotes sometimes kill for fun, it appears. You don't want to leave your dog out alone at night to be ganged up by, on by a bunch, by a pack of coyotes. They're ruthless. Is that what we've become? It looks like that while you watch the riots in Chicago. It looked like that while you watch the BLM riots, the looting, the ruthlessness. When you follow Twitter and you see the, the way people are responding to Elon Musk, who is not a conservative in so many ways. It's ruthless. It's a breaking away from God and from the rest of humanity, to quote Menninger. Sin, he says, was once thought to be the ultimate, quote, act of rebellion against God and man. But if the word doesn't even exist any longer, we've got a problem. So it's not that I disagree with Wolf. I agree with him. And I think he probably agrees with everything I'm saying right now. I am not pitting myself against him. What I'm doing is I'm asking the basic question that Carl Menninger asked. Whatever became of sin? We can call it a social contagion. We can call it a mistake. We can call it whatever we want. We can call it nonconformity. We can call it bigotry. We can call it intolerance. We can call it... Racism. We can call it whatever we want, but the bottom line, at the end of days, it is pure and simple. It's sin. Back to Carl Menninger. The recent rapid decline and disappearance of the word sin may be a clue to the fundamental changes in the moral philosophy of our culture. We use euphemisms such as transgressions and mistakes, but never mention sins. Close quote. Do you hear his point here? I hope you do. It's the same point over and over again that all of us should be making right now. The rapid decline and disappearance of the word sin may be a clue to the fundamental changes in the moral philosophy of our civilization. We use euphemisms such as transgressions, mistakes you hurt my feelings if i offended you we call them offenses we call them transgressions we call them mistakes we call them crimes but none of these words carry the moral clarity of the word sin we never mention sins anymore you you can apologize for a mistake But do you have to confess it? Do you have to repent of it? Do you have to sit before God, kneel before God, and all of God's creation, and repent, confess your sins? Yes, you do if they're sins, but if they're just transgressions and mistakes, you often don't, do you? So back to Wolf's point, are we a nation in moral freefall? His words, yes. I mean, who in the world with eyes to see and ears to hear could argue differently? Are we in the midst of a manufactured social contagion, quote-unquote, the social contagion of our own making via social media? Absolutely, I agree. But at the end of days, it all boils down to one word, sin. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we are not good people. Now, this may offend some of you. I know it offended some of my readers in the Washington Times over the weekend. One woman said, how dare you? She responded to my article, and she said, how dare you say that I'm not a good person? Who are you to judge, she said. But that's my point. She doesn't understand. There is no such thing as a good person. Who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men? Only the shadow knows. knows? All of us have evil lurking in our heart. All of us are broken. None of us are good. You are not a good person, nor am I. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. There are no good people. We are all guilty of what sin. Our transgressions are not mere oopsies. (laughs) They're not just mistakes. They're not offenses. They're sins. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, and once president of Princeton, or was it Yale? I have to go back and check. It was one or the other. Embarrassed, I can't remember that. Jonathan Edwards once made this point that I'm making right now abundantly clear. He said in his great sermon, We are all sinners in the hands of an angry God. Close quote. Or you could even get more to the point by going to the apostles Paul and John. They both said this, There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you claim to be without sin, you make God out to be a liar, and the truth is not in you. This is a combination of the words of St. Paul and St. John. They walked and talked with Christ. And they said, none of you are righteous not one all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and if you claim to be without here's the word again sin you make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in you pretty clear right and then finally the apostle Paul makes it very clear where we all stand he says the wages of what sin not mistakes not oopsies not transgressions the wages of sin is death I'm not going to end on a negative. Let's go to the positive. There is a solution, thanks be to God. And here it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You hear that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins not our manufactured social contagions, but our sins, and to cleanse us of all of this sin, this unrighteousness. Or in the simple words of John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. He said this at the end of his life, I remember two things very clearly, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.